Well, good morning. My name is Daniel, and uh, Daniel Wilson Grothy, in fact. Last time I preached here, three, two, three months ago, I just got straight up out of the scripture readings and, and couldn't do an intro. It was like, you just got to go. And some guy came up to me in the lobby afterwards. He goes, uh, thanks, that, that was a great sermon. What's your name? <laughs> um, so I'm Daniel Grothy. I work at New Life. Uh, I'm the, the pastor of the mill and have been at New Life for about eight years, married to Lisa, who's here. We've got three little kids, Lillian, Wilson, and Wakely, and we're having a blast. Uh, our metabolisms are high because these children are everywhere. You young parents know what I'm talking about. But uh, today is a real joy to come and open the Word of God because we believe that Scripture is alive and that it's dynamic, and that it's powerful, and that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and that it cuts, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And so this morning as we come before the Word of the Lord, what we're saying is we're, we're willing to be divided up a little bit this morning. We're willing to let the Holy Spirit change us and conform us into the image of the Son of God. And so this morning I want to read you a little bit more out of this passage, Luke chapter 8, that's where we are today. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 26, it says this, Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city, this is Jesus getting out of the boat, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, And he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered into him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. C.S. Lewis, in his book Screwtape Letters, diagnoses two problems with us as humanity. One of them is the fact that many of us overemphasize the power of the devil, that we obsess, that we freak out, that we're looking for the devil around every corner and under every rock, and that we assume that it's going to be bad and we're fearful, and in one sense it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when we live this way. So he talks about the people who obsess about the work of the devil, and he says, don't go there. But he also talks about another group of people which is the group that underemphasizes the role or the power of the devil, who ignore the devil. And he says, in essence, that the Enlightenment, I mean, he, he's, he's saying basically what has happened to us in the Enlightenment is that, well, we've become enlightened and we know that evil doesn't really exist, right? It, you know, that's so cute. They think that there's demonic forces. Oh, bless their hearts. And Jesus got in the boat and went across. He left his place. He left where the Jews were. He left where the temple was and went to the opposite side, to the region of the Gerasenes. 
and he gets off the boat and he finds a man that day who lived in a town that either obsessed about the devil and therefore had to do away with people like this man or a town where people ignored the devil and therefore had nothing to do with people who were a nuisance. And Jesus finds this man who was naked and chained among the tombs, convulsing, just a freak show of a guy. And this guy meets him on the shore. And Jesus says something very important for us to look at today. This is a a series called Conversations, where we're looking at conversations that Jesus had with people, and we're learning who this God is that we've been given, that we've received in Jesus Christ. And Jesus asks the man, what is your name? Hey, nice to meet you. Thanks Thanks for coming out. What's your name? Not a person who's created so much social upheaval in this town. Uh, What are you doing here? Not what is your problem, but what is your name? He's saying in essence, hey, those two people that God gave the privilege of being called your parents, what did they choose to call you? This guy had spent a life being dehumanized. This guy had spent his life being run out of town and chained among the tombs because he was a nuisance. And Jesus doesn't call him or greet him as a problem. Jesus says, what is your name? This guy didn't know what to say. He was so confused, so occupied, that his response was, legion, for I am many. The demons spoke up. And a legion for the Roman army was a group of 6,000 soldiers. And the response that came out of this guy that day is, my name is Legion. He's saying, I'm so occupied. I've been taken over on the inside. I don't know where the evil ends and where I begin. My name is Legion. Jesus says, what's your name? I think many of us are this way. I've been this way at times in my life. Someone might say, hey, Tell me your story, and the thing that I identify is the thing that's broken. Some of us might say, you know, Jesus, if he were here today, he might say, what's your name? And we might say, well, well I'm, I'm a failure because I've been foreclosed on. Or I'm a bad parent because my kids are acting like idiots right now. That's who I am. That's my identity. I'm a bad parent. Or, what's your name? I'm promiscuous because there have been many. What, what is your name, Jesus is asking, and we go to the thing that has bound us. We answer with the thing that has defined us, the thing that is broken. And Jesus says, I will not have you answer me like that. That is not what I'm getting at here. I think Jesus was saying, once we can get you named... Once we can get you identified with your story, once we can make you human again, we we can do some work here. I want to make a very important observation today about the church. And it is this. That the church is the strange group of people that refuse to hide behind the issues. The church is the strange group of people that refuse to hide behind the issues. The Gerasenes that day, we, we, I imagine their county commissioners, 
their, their administrators getting together and talking, and we've got to really do something about this demonization issue here in town. It's just, you know, just really uh, taking a toll, and people are scared, and, and, and the masses, they're, they're uneasy. Let's just really focus on this demonization issue. And, and in the wake of all of these school shootings, haven't we had conversations like this going on? We've got to really look at this mental health issue. We might say, we've got to really look at this teen pregnancy issue because it's just destroying the fiber of our culture. And, and it, it is. But the church is the strange group of people that refuse to hide behind the issues because we will never be able to help a teenage mother if we treat her as a stereotypical problem. That teenage mother will not be helped until she is named. And Jesus shows up to a guy who had been dehumanized and cast out of the society. He's living among the tombs, and the tombs were very often in caves in this region. So he's living in a hole in the earth where dead people are buried, and they've chained him up, and he's so crazy that he figures out a way to break these chains time and time again, maybe by, by rubbing it up against a rock, and he finally breaks loose and runs back into the town and terrorizes them. And Jesus says, I'm not going to treat you like a problem. Tell me who you are. What if we spend a lot of time talking in abstractions about mental health issues and we miss our very named neighbor right next door. Yesterday I was in the backyard and I, I do this about once a year, but I was out chopping wood. I had an axe and some branches had fallen and we have a wood burning fireplace. So, you know, you got to get some wood. And so the kids are out playing and I'm out there chopping wood and we don't have a fence in our backyard. So this lady walks into our backyard while I'm chopping wood. <laughs> Probably a pretty... Um, welcoming scene. I'm holding an axe. Hello. Great to yeah. <laughs> Great dad. His kids are running around and he's got an axe. Um, so I'm there holding this axe and this lady comes up to me and she, I, I've met her a couple times. She lives down the street and she knows that I'm in one of the helping professions, right? I'm a pastor and so, so she's, in, she's in need and she comes over to my house and she says, hey, I I just came from the lawyer's office and I just, she had her son with her. I just signed the papers to divorce my husband who's down there in the house and he's drunk. He's been drunk for two years. He just, he hadn't worked. He's holed up in the house. Can you help? And I had a choice there. Do I go into fix-it mode and, and try to diagnose the problem and try to be technical or do I say how are you doing how are you little guy what do we need to do to help him Jesus is the one who refuses to treat people as problems and so we the church respond in his likeness and we say what's your name what's your story how can I how can I serve you? How can we bring you into this family and see that you're restored? Maybe this is why I have a slight issue with some pockets of the church overemphasizing spiritual warfare because what I have found in many cases that people are more interested in naming the prevailing spirits over a region than they are in naming people. We didn't get that from Jesus. We didn't learn that from the Master. 
God have mercy on the church that is more interested in naming the issues than in naming Mike and Sagita and Muhammad and Sandra and Dave and Judith and Ben and Julie. God have mercy on a church that doesn't have any names in it. The second thing that I want to look at today, the first question is, what is your name? The second question is, who is this Jesus? I mean, whoa. He gets off the boat. This guy who's naked, who is the town nuisance, comes and greets him. And Jesus doesn't freak out. Jesus doesn't run and hide behind his entourage. Jesus doesn't run away and, and say, Let, let's go back home. It's just a lot more sterile and, and san- sanitary in the temple. Who is this Jesus? For the first time and the only time in the gospel story, we just read the story about Jesus going to the region of the Gerasenes. This is the only time that we know of that he went there. It's Gentile territory. These are the outsiders. These are filthy people, if you're a Jew, right? And Luke is telling this story and he's laughing as he writes this because he says there's 2,000 pigs. Which for Jews, I mean, pigs are just filthy. You don't mess with pigs. You are ritually impure if you touch a pig or if you eat a pig or you go near it. And he says there's 2,000 pigs there that day. He says that the guy is naked and he's running around and he lives among the tombs. If you're a Jew, you do not go near the tombs. You do not touch a dead body. That is filthy and you can't go worship for a week if you're exposed to that. This guy is a mess. Jesus is the one who chooses to go there. Luke is saying, you got to know who you're working with here if you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who goes to the place of brokenness, who goes to the place where it's filthy, who goes to the place and, and flies in the face of the religious rulers who says, that's ritually impure, you can't go do that. And Jesus says, watch me. Who is this Jesus? I can imagine Luke, because he's written this book, Luke And he also wrote Acts. And Acts is the story of the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth, right? It's the gospel of the church rising up by the power of the Spirit and extending from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. The Gentiles are brought in in Acts. But Jesus here just can't wait. Luke reserves it for Acts, but Jesus, I can almost see him telling Luke, hey, your narrative scheme, that's great, but I'm going to burst out of it right now because there's someone who's hurting and I'm going to go over to that region. Even though you're going to wait to tell the story in Acts, I cannot wait. There is someone who is in need. And I don't care if he's filthy. Maybe especially because he's filthy, that's where I'm going. Who is this Jesus? The previous story, as they're going across the lake, A great storm comes up and Jesus is taking a nap and he's the one that called this trip and his disciples are freaking out and saying, we're going to perish, we're going to die. What's wrong with you, Jesus? And they go and wake him up in the back of the boat and Jesus stands up and does, you know, the you have little faith and he speaks, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves die down. And they say, who is this Jesus that even the winds and the waves obey his command? So Jesus leaves that scene after saying the great peace be still to the winds and the waves and he lands on the shore in the region of the Gerasenes and this guy who is a storm of a human comes to him and Jesus says, peace be still. And the winds and the waves died down in his life. Who is this Jesus? We've got a whole book that anticipates this kind of work from God. We just read it, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined 
to me. And he heard my cry and he lifted me up out of the pit and out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise unto my God that many people would see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. we got a lot of people who are waiting patiently for the Lord. And we look at this story here in Luke chapter 8 and we see that the Lord is the one who inclines to us and hears our cry. And He lifts us up out of the muddy pit and He takes us out of the tombs and He sets our feet on a rock and He gives us a firm place to stand. Ephesians chapter 2, we just read it. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were destroyed. You had nothing going for you. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. And this is not of ourselves, lest any of us should boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This guy on the shore that day found the Jesus who was the fulfillment of Psalm 40 who is the embodiment of Ephesians chapter 2. What we're seeing in this story is that there is no land so remote and so distant that Jesus will not come to us. There is no place so foul and so gross that Jesus will not come to us. Jesus is the one who gets in the mud. Jesus is the one who rolls up his sleeves and heals people. The corners of society and the fringes of our economy the remote and unvisited places, the slums and the alleys, and up under the bridges at night, these are some of Jesus' favorite haunts. If you want to find him, go there. You will find him doing his best work, rescuing people. Who is this Jesus, we ask, that comes to take us out of our nakedness and our shame and our embarrassment and our fear and our death? They made basically a citizen's arrest that day the, the leaders of the Gerasenes, Jesus comes and heals this guy. And they gather up and they say, Jesus, you've got to go. This is not going to work. This is way too much, way too fast. You are disturbing the peace. We need you to leave our place. You're not welcome here anymore, Jesus. Maybe that's the reason Jesus never went back. Maybe he wasn't allowed to go back. Who knows? We can read into that story. But they let him know that he's not welcome. And then the demoniac who had been set right, the guy who had been crazy and foaming at the mouth and naked, it says that they see him clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. This guy had been restored like that. The demoniac runs to Jesus and says, Please, please will you let me get back on the boat? I know that there's a spot on that boat because I saw you guys come here and there's plenty of room. Would you please let me go back with you on tour? Because these people have seen everything. They know my story. They know how foolish I've been. I've, tri- I've broken into their houses and stolen stuff from them. Please, life is not viable for me here. Would you please let me go with you, Jesus? And Jesus says... No, I won't let you go. You go back into your home and you tell these people what God has done for you. The third question that we're looking at today is who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? Jesus is not going to let us escape the difficulties of our home. Jesus is not going to let us take the easy road out and avoid the conflict. Jesus is sending us back into the place of brokenness and shame that we used to occupy to now bring life into that very place. Jesus won't let us run from our past. Instead, He sends us as missionaries. 
They told Jesus that day, you cannot come back to this place. And he said, I'm leaving. And this guy said, can I go with you? He said, no, you are my witness in this place. You are my missionary. Get back in to your family. Get back in to your city. And you go tell the story of what God has done for you. We, be, we become the perpetuators of this message. Who are you going to tell? Isaiah 54 is a classic passage in Old Testament Scripture, and I want to read it to you today. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking for God here. And God says this through Isaiah, Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the side of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations and will settle the desolate towns. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Think about this guy that day hearing something like that. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged, for you will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood you will remember no more. In ancient times, it was more honorable to be a prostitute than to be a barren woman. Think about what kind of society that is. You're better off if you're a prostitute, more honorable than if you are barren. Just because your body doesn't work, you get ostracized and sent to the fringes of your community. If you couldn't have a baby, surely you were cursed. That's what they assumed. And some of you feel like your lives are barren today. Some of you feel like your lives will always be defined by your shame. Some of you feel like your stories can't go past your worst day. God says through Isaiah, Sing, you barren woman. Sing, because the days of your desolation, the days of your unfruitfulness, they will be no more. Go get the crib ready. Go put on the crib sheets. Go paint the nursery. In fact, paint lots of nurseries because you are going to burst forth with new life. Because of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ, your story will be changed. Sing, you barren woman. Rejoice, O demon-possessed, for God is on a boat and he is headed your way. Blessed are the troubled, for God knows just the cave that you're living in. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are you who have been banished by your communities. Jesus was banished by his community, and he's going to come and make you well. And blessed are those of you who are willing to reincorporate those people who are problems. Blessed are you who are willing to restore those people who have been labeled a nuisance to our society. Blessed are you who are willing to reincorporate, for you yourselves will be reincorporated into God's story. What is your name? Who is this Jesus? And who are you going to tell? Last week at church, 
there's this like church mother, right? She's, she's in her mid-70s, sweet as she can be, loves the Lord. To look, I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating here. To look in her eyes, she's got these crystal clear, crisp, clean eyes. To look in her eyes is a spiritual experience. And she comes up to me and kisses me on the cheek and she looks me in my eyes and she said, Daniel, I didn't meet Jesus until I was 40 years old. I said, no way. Not you. Not the woman whose, whose eyes are a spiritual experience in themselves. Not no. Her and her husband, she's a widow now. She's been faithful. She's served the church. She's, she loves the word of God and has hidden it in her heart. And she comes up to me and tells me that the first 40 years of her life were a wreck. All I've known is the last eight years of knowing her and watching her be this church mother who is faithful and generous and who has taken people in and restored them. And she says, in essence, I was the lady in Luke 8 that came to Jesus on the shore that day. I couldn't believe it. More than half of her life was defined by darkness and shame and embarrassment and sin, and she was troubled. Legion, for there are many. That was her first 40 years. Today I want to say to you, you will not be defined by your worst day. You will not be defined by the shame of your past. You will not be defined by the stupidity that you displayed. You will not be defined by all those things that the enemy tries to label you with. Jesus is here today and he's saying, what's your name? And we'll try to make an excuse and redirect and he said, no, no, what's your name? You are made in my image. But Jesus, I don't have all the, the knots untangled, but you're made in my image. But Jesus, I, do you know how stupid I've been? But you're made in my image. And if I'm going to spread this kingdom, it's going to be through you. And if you don't allow me to, it will not happen. You are mine. Let's get to work. By bumping into Jesus in Luke chapter 8, we have to ask ourselves some questions. If you would close your eyes with me this morning and just let the Spirit kind of quiet your heart. This is a time of, a time of uh, taking stock, a time of repenting. This season of Lent as we lead toward Good Friday and ultimately toward Easter to receive this newness of life from the resurrected Jesus Christ. We're supposed to ask ourselves questions. We're supposed to look inward. We're supposed to take stock and repent. One question I want to ask is, who are the people in your life that you are tempted to dehumanize into a problem? Who are the people in your life that you are tempted to dehumanize into a problem? And this, to what lengths will you go to restore them to wholeness in Jesus' name? And then there's this. What do you think your name is today? If Jesus were here staring you in the face and asking you, what is your name? What would you say to him? How would you define yourself? 
And what do you think he would say to that? What can you hear Jesus calling you today? Put yourself on that shore in Luke chapter 8. What is Jesus saying to you today to put you back together? Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the express image of God in bodily form. In looking at Jesus, we have all of God that we could ever want and more. In looking at Jesus, we know what God is like. In looking at Jesus, we know how God responds to broken people. Lord, would you make us those people who fiercely believe in the personhood, in the, in the personal nature of Jesus Christ. That Jesus refuses to be impersonal and distant and cold and dehumanizing. Lord, would you train us as a people? Would you make us more like Jesus in that way? That we see people as people made in the image of God. Lord, would you make us a blessing to those who are hurting to those who are convulsing under the power of the enemy? Would you make us a blessing to those who have just left the lawyer's office and signed the paperwork? Lord, would you make us a blessing to those who might seem to be a nuisance? Would you help us to see them like Jesus sees us? And Lord, we repent as a people for every time that we've walked past a person and seen them as a problem. Lord, we repent for that. Would you help us to respond like Jesus responds? And Lord, today I pray blessing over my friends here. For those who are having a hard time believing that Jesus actually sees them this way, would you cause that to sink down deep in our hearts? Lord, would you make us the missionaries? Out of our brokenness, would you send us back into the place of pain to bring life. In Jesus' name, amen.